As we worship the risen King today, I ask you to find your way to Luke chapter 8. We will pick up where we left off last week. In fact, we'll actually pick up a little bit of what we covered last week, just because there is this sweet interweaving of two passages here that is presented for us in this mix between what uh, we find with the woman who we talked about last Sunday and her issue of blood, this bleeding which she was not able to find resolution to on her own, and the mixture that we find with that of this young daughter who we will take a little closer look at here today, known as the daughter of Jairus, who is at the point of death, who is facing the very demise of her own body. And there's some rich truths and kind of intermingling of these two events. These ultimately happen in the context of four different miracles that Luke weaves together here at the end of Luke chapter 8. And in the midst of that, he is showing that there is so much that Christ has the power over. I mean, we began with Jesus and his disciples earlier in Luke chapter 8, loading up in a boat. And they're heading across the Sea of Galilee. And they are going to a place known as Gerasa. But along the way, this great storm comes upon them, such that they are not able to control the boat. Jesus falling asleep on the inner parts of the boat. And the disciples, whom some of them, being professional fishermen, find that they are fearful for their very lives. And in the midst of that, we find that Jesus has the power over nature. He has the power over the wind and the waves, which he simply speaks to and says, hush, and they are stilled. And then we find that as the disciples and Jesus arrive at Gerasa, they are encountered by this man who is demon-possessed by a whole legion of demons. And Jesus drives those demons out as a, as a show that he doesn't just have power over the natural. He also has power over the supernatural realm. And then last week, we took a look at Jesus's power over disease. As we saw this woman who had been struggling for so long, for a number of years, for 12 years, in fact, with this issue of bleeding, this issue of blood, which would have cut her off from so much of her society. And as she reaches out and touches just the hem of Jesus' cloak, she is healed, showing Jesus' power over disease. And then today we come to the fourth of these sequential miracles where we will find that Jesus, in fact, shows his power over death. And I've titled the message today, No Trouble for This Teacher. No Trouble for This Teacher. I heard about a first grader who was on his first field trip with his elementary school when they came to the gift shop at a museum. He wanted to send his grandmother an experience, a, 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 a memento of this great experience that he'd had. So he decided that he was going to get her a postcard. He, he carefully scanned the rack of the options of postcards that were there. He selected the one that he thought would be most pleasing to his grandmother. And then he purchased it, and they loaded up on the bus, and on the way home, he walked over to his teacher. Now, this, this young man was still 
early in his learning, in the first grade, he didn't quite have a handle on all of his letters. Sometimes he would turn them around backwards. He always had to ask somebody how to spell the words. And, and so he just wandered up to his teacher while they were on that bus trip home and said, you know, would you mind filling this postcard out for me? I want to send it to my grandmother. And so the teacher said, you know, that's no trouble for me. I wouldn't be troubled at all to do that sort of thing. So just tell me what you want to put on here. And he spoke to her the words that he wanted to send to his grandmother. And so she filled it out and she handed it back to the young man. And she said, okay, is there anything else that I can do for you? Well, the young man took a moment just to study it. And, and, he, and he said, would, would you mind just adding one more line to the bottom of this card that says, P.S., I'm sorry for the sloppy handwriting. <laughs> Some students demand a lot of time and a lot of attention from their teachers. And this can be a troubling experience. Some of you know that from the end of being a teacher. Some of you know that from the end of being a troublemaker, right? And most teachers can, can identify the troublemakers who are in their classrooms. That's not to say that teachers don't love these students or that they've checked out of teaching them or guiding them in their learning. It's just a simple observation that some kids demand a lot of attention from their teachers. Some kids ask for their teachers' help on things that are beyond the teacher's job description. Some kids simply will not leave their teachers alone. And no parent wants his or her child to be a constant source of trouble for a teacher. So we might teach our children, don't trouble that teacher anymore. Pay attention, do your work, complete your assignments, stop troubling the teacher. And some of you have been on the troubling side of a teacher or two. And you've sat in the principal's office. Or you've been asked to sit out in the hallway. Or you've been put in time out and given sentences to write. Or forced to sit out of recess. I remember one time in the second grade when I got on the troubling side of one of my teachers. And she grabbed me by the ear and drugged me by that same ear all the way to the principal's office. So if my ears are out of alignment, now you guys know why that's the case. Stop looking, I'm just kidding. When the Lord Jesus came on his mission trip from the heavens to bring the good news of the gospel to mankind, he was often referred to as a teacher, and rightfully so, because he did indeed teach great truths, wonderful truths that we all need to hear. But surely, more than any other teacher in human history, Jesus had students who were demanding his time. I mean, everywhere he went, these great crowds would surround him such that he was barely even able to move. As he taught, people were constantly interrupting him and crying out for his help. And today's passage focuses on just one of those people who are begging for the teacher's help. And this is a man named Jairus who comes and he begs Jesus to help in a particular situation in his life. He has an only daughter who is 12 years old, and this daughter is about to die. And he comes with the conviction that if Jesus will only come and will place his hands on this daughter, she will be made well. 
But as Jesus is on his way, news comes that Jairus' daughter has, in fact, died. And in that moment, the, the bearer of bad news says, Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Have you ever felt like the situations in your life aren't worth troubling Jesus Have you ever gotten the impression that your sickness or your hurts or your habits or your heartaches or your addictions would just be a nuisance to Jesus? Has the fear of wasting time or or seeming petty in Jesus' eyes ever hindered you from seeking his help with something that you're dealing with in your own life? Well, if so, then today's passage is for you. Because what we learn and what we'll see in today's passage is that our heartaches and our pains and our situations and our diseases, in summary, all of our struggles are no trouble for this teacher. And so if you will, join me now in Luke chapter 8. We'll start in verse 40. If you're able, I'd ask you to stand as we honor the reading of God's word. And some of this is going to sound familiar because we're repeating what we had last week, but the gospel authors put it together this way, and I think it's valuable for us to see the whole picture, starting in verse 40. And Jesus, and as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue, and he fell at Jesus's feet and began to implore him to come to his house for he had an only daughter about 12 years old and she was dying but as he that is as Jesus went the crowds were pressing against him and a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak and immediately Her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him. And declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him. And how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Back to Jairus and his daughter while he was still speaking. Someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore but when jesus heard this he answered him do not be afraid any longer only believe and she will be made well when he came to the house he did not allow anyone to enter with him except peter and john and james and the girl's father and mother now they were all weeping and lamenting for her but he said stop weeping for she has not died but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up immediately. And he gave orders for something to be given her to eat. 
Her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Here ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. As I've mentioned last week, we gave particular attention to this bleeding woman, this woman who has this hemorrhage who is described in verses 43 to 48. But we've read these verses again today because that's the way the gospel authors have presented this account for us. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels as we describe them because of their similarity and content, all include these miracles of Jesus as this interweaved account. These, these miracles are intertwined in all three instances. And another interesting tidbit is that this is the only instance of intertwined miracles that we have in these gospel accounts. So there's some associations between these miracles that the Spirit of God wants us to take note of. And we looked at some of those last week. For example, both Jairus' daughter, really both Jairus and, and this woman who has been suffering with the issue of blood, they both fall at Jesus' feet. Jairus' daughter is 12 years old. This woman has been struggling with this disease of hers for 12 years now. Both Jairus and this woman face these desperate situations that nobody else has an ability to address. And in both of these accounts, faith is front and center. And the saving of the one who is sick or the one who is dead from physical trouble is carried out by Jesus in response to faith in both of these accounts. But as I mentioned last week, what I think is the most striking instance of similarity between these two accounts is the fact that Jesus refers to the woman who is in her middle age, who has spent away all of her money, who has found that time and time again she has been disappointed, who has been cast out as a social reject, who has no prominence in her society. Jesus calls that woman daughter. He gives to her this title, this same title of the young girl that he is going now to help, the the young wealthy child who is sick in the midst of a a deathbed experience. This, this young one who has a father who is prominent and surely she had popularity and tons of friends is given the same title of daughter by the Almighty God showing that it, it doesn't matter how rich you are, whether you are wealthy or poor or how popular you may be, whether you have tons of friends or whether you've been driven out as an outcast of society. It it doesn't matter how old you are, whether you're advanced in years or you are on the young side of what we would call the average human lifespan. The reality is that the same grace is offered to all. And we all must come in our helpless state and acknowledge that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life, the only healer who can bring the lasting healing that we need. And the combination of these passages reminds us of these things reminds us it doesn't matter how wealthy how weary how popular you are your troubles are no trouble to the teacher and today we're going to focus on the account of Jairus and his daughter as we examine how the bible shows us that our troubles are indeed no trouble for this teacher and as we look into this passage 
I want to share with you four reasons why you should bring your troubles to Jesus. Four reasons why you should bring your troubles to Jesus. The first one is this. It is no trouble for Jesus to be implored by the desperate. Let me say that again. It is no trouble for Jesus to be implored by the desperate. As this passage kicks off, we encounter some pretty desperate individuals. In fact, there's a whole crowd of them that have lined up along the seashore expecting Jesus to come back. And so they welcome him and they crowd in around him. Mark's gospel reveals that the crowd is so thick, Jesus can't even leave the, the, the side of the sea there where he comes in because of the great crowd. But there's this one man in the midst of this crowd whose desperation was surely the greatest of them all. And his name, as we've mentioned, is Jairus. He's a ruler of the local synagogue. That means that he was thoroughly Jewish. I mean, he's the guy who's in charge of the local Jewish gathering place. And it is, it is his job to, to review the teachers who would be coming to teach, to line up the schedule of those who would be speaking and reading the word. It, it is his job to ensure that all things in the synagogue, this place of Jewish worship, are carried out decently and in order. And surely this man, because he was so thoroughly Jewish, would have rubbed elbows with those who were Jesus' greatest enemies here in his time on earth. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, these religious zealots who were constantly pursuing Jesus and trying to find the things that he was doing wrong so they could call him out on it and bring others to knock him away from the power which they thought he was stealing away from them. And so surely coming to Jesus for this man would have been a risky endeavor. I mean, for Jairus to come to Jesus, he's got to deal with those who are his friends in the ministry. He's got to deal with those who see Jesus as one who is robbing them of their power, who see Jesus as the enemy. If, if this man was going to come to Jesus... He risked the scorn of his community. He risked the scorn of his family. If he was going to come to Jesus, then there would be consequences. But still, we find him falling at the feet of Jesus and imploring him, begging him to come to his house. You see, the situation in Jairus' life had gotten so bad that he said, forget the status forget the consequences my troubles are more than i can deal with on my own and so i'm coming to jesus and oh my friends there's a picture here of what each and every one of us must do have you come to jesus have you laid aside your status have you confessed that your troubles are too great for you to overcome on your own? Have you bowed to his will and placed your trust in him? If not, then I pray you won't go another day without giving your life to him. And Jairus had some big problems. Mark 5 records that his daughter was at the point of death. Some of you have been through this experience with your loved ones. 
Maybe you've gotten a list of things to expect from hospice as in those final days the limbs start to grow cold. The death rattle of the throat sets in. Here's Jairus' daughter, only 12 years old, going through these things. She's just about to encounter puberty. 12 years old. In a year or so, she would transform from a young little girl to a grown woman. As a matter of fact, in the transition of puberty, there's no specific age, but somewhere around the age of 12 or 13, a woman in Jewish culture would be seen as marrying age because she had grown into maturity through that process. And yet here, we find this young girl who's just about to transition into being a woman at the point of death. And surely, Jairus is wrapped up with grief as any father would be in this moment thinking, I'll never get to walk my daughter down the aisle. I'll never get to see what she could become. I'll never get to see the return on the investment of education, of love, of nurture that I poured into her. In a moment of great despair, he comes to Jesus. And so he comes And he comes to the one whom he believed that he could make a difference. He came to Jesus. He found out that his trouble is no trouble if Jesus is involved. Jesus is not troubled when those who come to implore of his help are desperate. How do we know? Because when Jairus comes to Jesus, when he comes imploring, when he comes begging, when he comes desperate, Jesus goes with him. As he begs Jesus to make a difference, Jesus responds. And my friends, our God has compassion in this situation. Luke reveals that this daughter was Jairus' only daughter. My friends, I just want to tell you, our God knows what it's like to lose an only child. In fact, just as Jairus was witnessing the suffering of his daughter, God Almighty was witnessing the suffering of his son who had no place to lay his head, who had left this heavenly throne to come on this mission trip to make a difference for this sort of situation, to conquer death. God knows this heartache. And so he resolved to deal with it with finality. As Jesus It's here in this moment. Surely Jesus remembers what it's like to be 12 years old. We've been in this study of Luke for a long time, but some time ago we were in Luke chapter 2 where we saw that Jesus at 12 years old had gone to the temple with his parents, his earthly parents, and had stayed behind with the religious teachers. They had gone on the caravan home thinking that he was another part of the caravan, but at 12 years old Jesus was in the temple Responding to and instructing the religious teachers to their amazement. But his parents, seeing that he wasn't with them, came to a great panic. Thinking we've lost our son. And surely Jesus saw the panic in his parents' faces and recalled that moment as here. 
Jairus is now in the same shoes, the same concern, the same chaos of his life, thinking, I may be losing my own child. You can only imagine what it's like to be in Jairus' shoes. Though I know some of you have been in similar shoes. But the truth is, we all face issues in our homes that we can't deal with on our own. We all have our troubles. We all need the power of Jesus in the midst of our troubles. And it would be wise, my friends, for each of us to implore Jesus, saying, Jesus, come into my home. Come into my family. Come into my situation. Come and deal with my troubles. Jesus, come and bring your power to bear on the wreck of my life. Because every parent deals with issues they feel inadequate to address. Every married man or woman needs gospel foundations to know how to interact in a gospel-oriented way with this chief ministry target that God has given you in your spouse. Every single person, every widow or widower needs a strong and a steady Savior to be a constant companion and a source of encouragement and strength and guidance and so i say friends invite jesus into your homes bring your troubles to him because it is no trouble for him to be implored by the desperate but also bring your bring your troubles to jesus because secondly it is no trouble for jesus to be interrupted by the diseased we, we looked at the bleeding woman last week, so I'm not going to recall all the details of her circumstances, but it's clear that she was diseased with this issue of blood she'd been battling with for 12 years. And so she interrupts Jesus on his way to bring healing to, to Jairus' daughter. But it's no trouble, my friends, for Jesus to be interrupted by the diseased. That's a lesson that not only the woman who came after Jesus and touched the hem of his cloak needed to learn, that's a lesson that Jairus needed to learn as well. We need to learn that lesson. I don't know about you folks, but I know that in my own experience, I've lived a good part of my life in my earlier days of thinking that I was a Christian rarely if ever praying because I was concerned that God had more important things to do than to deal with my junk but you know what this passage shows us God's big enough to deal with your junk and deal with the the junk of everybody else at the same time doesn't matter how small yours is compared to what everybody else is dealing with God is powerful enough and big enough to deal with all of it But somebody, somebody who came from Jairus' house didn't realize that. So while Jesus was still speaking to the woman who'd been cured, this somebody who remains unnamed says in verse 49, Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Can you imagine, imagine how horrifying those words would be to hear? To hear those words is one of the greatest fears of any parent. We would rather die ourselves than have our children 
to face this circumstance. And so we sometimes stay awake at 3 o'clock in the morning, watching and praying that God would cause the fever to break. Or we make haste to the emergency room, praying all the way that God would spare our child's life. Because so much of our hope for the future is wrapped up in the children that God has given us. And so we shudder to think of a future without them. And we don't know the name of this person that comes from Jairus' house, but this is obviously not someone who has faith that Jesus could still make a difference. I mean, on top of the bad news that your daughter has died, this person piles on to that the implication that Jairus is bringing trouble to Jesus. Now, that's a real friend, is it not? This person needed to learn some lessons from the teacher. This person needed an education in who Jesus was and what he desired to do. This person needed to know that Jesus is not troubled by our troubles. And this person needed to know that Jesus is not powerless over death. And we see so clearly that Jesus wasn't troubled. I mean, if Jesus wanted a way out of this thing, here's his opportunity, right? I mean, if Jesus really felt like he was just being bothered, if he was just being troubled in this moment, what a quick way to say, well, sorry, your daughter died before I got there. Nothing else to do here? All right, let's see, who's next, right? It would be an easy way for Jesus to get out of this situation. And yet Jesus sticks in for the long haul. And I'm sure that Jairus was confused about all the timing of this, right? Because surely he was saying, why didn't Jesus just heal my daughter when I asked him to come? Or or he's probably saying, why did Jesus stop for this woman? I mean, if he hadn't wasted so much time on her, he could have come to my house and my daughter would be made well. And when his timeline for so many of us doesn't match what we want to see. We get the same sort of mentality. There's a little bit of this mentality, in fact, in each one of us. We want Jesus to act, but when do we want him to act? Now, right? Yeah. We want Jesus to make a difference now. And when his timetable doesn't match our timetable, we get bent out of shape. Oftentimes, we simply cannot see the full picture of what God is doing. And we are prone in our moments of not being able to see that to lose faith. We catch word that our demands to God were not met. And we lose confidence that He is on our side. But friends, let me encourage you. If that's you today, hear the words of Jesus. Do not be afraid only believe and our God will do what is right he is making all things new he is making all things well in fact these words that he says here she will be made well to Jairus if you only believe she will be made well they're from the Greek verb that literally means to save and Luke's giving us yet another example through this passage that God does his saving work through those who have faith in what Christ can do. And if Jairus had given in to his fears in this moment, 
if he had heard the, the, the account of those who had come from his house and told him, your daughter is dead, and had given in to his fears that Jesus was no longer capable in this situation, can you imagine what a blessing he would have missed out on? I mean, he could have grown angry. He could have grown resentful. He could have grown bitter against God. He could have turned off the faucet of his faith and said, I'm never believing in this guy again. But what a blessing he would have missed out on. And so I say, are you there, friend? Have you allowed your fears to drown out your faith? I say to you, do not be afraid any longer. Only believe God will make all things well, but in his timing. And there may be any number of things which are taking away the ease of your life right now. You might be diseased over some actual physical malady. Or you might be diseased by some emotional or relational problem. You might be starting down an addiction and staring that addiction down in hopes of dealing with the troubles. You might be staring down a failing marriage, a troubled marriage. But I say this to you, it is no trouble for Jesus to be interrupted by the deceased. That's the second reason to bring your troubles to Jesus. Here's the third. It is no trouble for Jesus to be insulted by the doubters. As Jesus comes to Jairus' house, he encounters what was essentially the funeral service of his day. I mean, when we have funerals, we have guys and gals who come in their suits and ties, and they come with their materials prepared to show you what caskets are available to to go through the service to guide the preacher around so he knows where to be when he needs to be there that's our funeral service in our day in jesus's day individuals who were mourning individuals who had lost a loved one would hire flute players and professional mourners to come in and the professional mourners would weep and wail i mean it was their job to come and to weep and to well. Some of you say, I want that job. Just let me go weeping well all day and you give me a check, right? Well, that's what these folks are doing as Jesus comes to Jairus' household. And Matthew 9 records that there were these flute players and there was this noisy disorder in the household. But these individuals who are gathered in Jairus' house are doubters. When Jesus comes to them with good news that this girl's death is not final, What do they do? They began laughing at him. For they knew that she had died. That's what Luke records in verse 53. What an insult. They laughed in the face of Jesus. They were insulting his power and his plans. But that didn't faze Jesus. He went on about his business. And it's interesting to me that that Luke records that Jesus took his closest band of followers kind of his inner circle of disciples, which would be Peter and James and John. These are the guys that went with him when he went to the most critical places of his ministry. They were present with him on the Mount of Transfiguration even. Jesus took his core guys with him as he went to address this need. And I got to think, what's it like to be in the shoes of, of Peter 
or James or John in this situation, as you're following Jesus, I mean, you're trying to do the right thing, right? You're trying to follow Jesus, but as you're going, there are people who are mocking Jesus. There are people who are saying, he's such a fool. There's no way he's going to do what he says he is going to do. This child is dead. Look, we've got physical evidence here that Jesus couldn't do anything in this situation. And I see such a parallel for us as we walk with Christ here on this earth. As we try to follow him as disciples of his, there will be, my friends, mockers. There will be doubters in abundant supply who will find us at every opportunity and say, Jesus isn't doing what he said he was going to do. You're just following him as a fool. But my friends, Jesus will keep his word. And Jesus will show his power. And we, like his inner circle of disciples, need to be ready, my friends, in the face of scorn, in the face of doubters, in the face of mockers, to follow him to his perfect plan and in his perfect timing. Don't mistake the mocking crowd for a sign that Jesus is not at work. Because my friends, he is at work. And his work will culminate in his return when he brings the fulfillment of his great promises of blessing forevermore for those who are his own. Jesus orders in these verses the funeral home away he essentially tells the flute players and the weeping and the wailing crowd to leave for this girl has not died but is asleep and jesus through these words shows that there is still hope for this girl and my friends if you hear my voice right now i want to tell you there is still hope for you if you are still physically alive if you are still able to hear the good news of the gospel, then you still have an opportunity to behold these truths and to find that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that we need. And it's no trouble for Jesus to be insulted by the doubters. That's the third reason to bring your troubles to him. Here's the final reason. It is no trouble for Jesus to invigorate the dead. It is no trouble for Jesus to invigorate the dead. It's true that this girl was dead. At least she was physically dead. And yet Jesus says she's only asleep. And he says to her, child, arise. And verse 55 records that her spirit returned. And so it'll be helpful for us just to pause a moment and to talk about the nature of man and the nature of death. Because these are important topics. And we're going to go a little bit deeper. Mike Bolden told me I should hold a, hold a shovel up here sometimes and say, all right, we're going to go deeper. So this is my shovel moment, all right? It's an it's a invisible shovel. But we're going to go a little deeper to understand this topic. What does it mean for this girl's spirit to come back? What is a spirit, in fact? The spirit of man. Well, when, when the Bible refers to the spirit of man, it's referring to that metaphysical part of who we are. That essence of us which is not bound up in our physical nature of cells and chemicals and atoms and mass. The spirit is the power by which we as humans feel and think and decide. And some modern scientists will try to convince you that we are nothing more 
been a precisely stacked pile of atoms. That is, some folks think that we are nothing more than our simple physical essence of who we are. There's nothing more than, to a man than his body, these individuals would tell you. They think that your personality and your thoughts and your ability to make decisions is nothing more than a precise alignment of the atoms in your body. But just to help think through that concept, it's a very naturalistic worldview. It's where much of our universities would be leading in these days. But scientific studies have also shown that our bodies experience a total change of cells over the span of seven years. So think through this, all right? If we're nothing more than our physical bodies, what gives us any sense of an enduring personal identity? If we're only comprised of physical bodies, then we're going to have issues explaining our self-awareness, explaining our memory, explaining our personal consciousness. How are you anything at all like what you were seven years ago if you're only a physical person and all of those cells have now changed at this point in your life? How can a judicial system imprison you for crimes that you committed seven years ago if that's the case? You're nothing more than the cells that you are and those cells have all gone away. And if you are only physical then you're a different person than you were then. But of course, the Bible refers to metaphysical components of who we are. We're not just flesh and bone. We also have a soul and a spirit, which are the components which can exist apart from our physical bodies. That's why verse 55 can say that her spirit returned. Because you don't just exist as a body, you exist as body, soul, and spirit. And Bible scholars have debated for a long time whether the soul and the spirit are separate components of who we are or just two words to refer to the same metaphysical essence that we share. Whether they're distinct, we should be content to note that the soul and the spirit are not presented as items which are commonly divided in the scriptures. In fact, these words, soul and spirit, are often used interchangeably in some of the key Bible passages where we might get an understanding. But the the thing this all boils down to is that you should know that the body and the spirit can be separated. And the spirit can live on without the body. To dig just a little bit deeper, have you ever considered this? What is death? What is death? And really, if we look at death from a biblical perspective, we'll see three essences of death. And so let me just give you some biblical insights here. The Bible teaches that death is the result of sin. In all instances, death is a result of sin. Adam and Eve committed the original sin in the Garden of Eden where they ate of the fruit that they were forbidden to eat and they received the curse of death. Paul then in Romans 6.23 writes, The wages of sin is what? Death. That's right. That's physical death. Now, we tend to only focus on physical death, but the Bible presents three types of death that are the consequence of sin. So there's the physical death. That's the result of that curse that God pronounced in Genesis 3 in result of original sin, the original sin committed by Adam and Eve. But there's also spiritual death. In that original sin, 
if you'll remember back in Genesis, God had commanded in Genesis 2 for Adam not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For he said, on the day you eat of it, you will certainly die. But Adam ate of it and physically Adam lived on. Adam had children. This day for Adam did not bring his physical death. But it did, my friends, bring about his spiritual death. You see, death could be described as a separation. In physical death, we're talking about the separation of the spirit from the body. But in, phys- in, in spiritual death, we're talking about the separation of man from God. The separation of fellowship with him. If you remember on the day when Adam and Eve sinned, they were banished from the garden of Eden. They were no longer able to be in his presence. They were spiritually separated. They were spiritually dead. And so they no longer enjoyed God's presence. So we got physical death, spiritual death, and then there's this other form of biblical death that is yet to come. It's what you might describe as final death. You might read about it as a second death in the Bible. Final death is the extension and the finalization of spiritual death. Because in final death, the believer, the unbeliever is banished. The one who has not trusted in Christ is banished, both body and soul, into hell for all of eternity. In Revelation chapter 20, you can read about how the spiritually dead will be raised for judgment, along with death and Hades. And as uh, Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15 states, this is from the perspective of John, who is able to see a glimpse of things that are coming in the future. What does John say? He says, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And so, my friends, you should know that the lake of fire is sin's enduring consequence for any individual who experiences physical death while they are spiritually dead. Does that make sense? While I'm at enmity with God, if I do not take the opportunity to behold the gospel while I am living here on this earth and I then come to physical death, still at enmity with God, then ultimately my destination is this second death. And the only hope that any of us have is to be made spiritually alive before we face physical death. And that, my friends, is the hope of the gospel. Because through the good news of the finished work of Christ, we come by faith and we are born again into a redeemed life whereby Christ's sinlessness covers our sin. Our sin is placed on him. And he has already borne the consequence of that sin through his suffering, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, my friends, offers to us the hope that our physical death will not have the final word. Because he is described in the Bible as the first fruits of those who are in Christ. Just as he's been raised from the dead, my friends, those who are in Christ have the same hope that one day we too shall be raised from the dead. And so, friends, when they lay me in the grave, you should know I'm just taking a nap because I have trusted in Christ. And physical death is no longer a source of lasting 
fear for me. Jesus has paid my ransom, and so I have a resurrection awaiting me. And I just want to ask you, my friends, do you have a hope that overcomes the grave? If not, then I plead with you, come to Jesus. Trust Him by faith. Receive the good news that He has defeated our greatest enemy. Your death is no trouble for this teacher. Come to Him and find life both in the future and here and now because Jesus saves by grace through faith. What we find in this passage here with Jairus' daughter, my friends, is a picture of all of that. Jesus says this girl is not dead, but asleep. Why? Because she hasn't faced final death yet. Because she hasn't met the end of her physical life yet. He's about to raise her from the dead. And so he speaks some of the sweetest words of all of Scripture to her. And only Mark mentions, out of the three gospel authors who cover this account, only Mark mentions the specific Aramaic phrase that Jesus spoke. As he said, Talitha, kum. And Mark gives us the translation of those words. He's saying they mean, little girl, I say to you, get up. I mean, it's like just walking into your daughter's room. Little girl, get up. Jesus takes her by the hand and says, little girl, get up. And he reaches down in that moment into the depths of Sheol and pulls her spirit back and she comes to life that my friends is a picture of the eternity that is in store for those who are in Christ the one who has power over death is one day coming my friends for his own and with the trumpet of God and with the voice of the archangel the dead in Christ shall rise and this my friends is our hope That one day Jesus will say to you, just as he said to this child, my friend, wake up, get up, come to life. And then Jesus orders that this girl be given something to eat. You know, it's not enough for her to be made alive. She must now have nourishment. And I think so often in our churches, when we're encountering individuals, we stop with the life. We find someone who finds a new birth, find someone who comes to Christ, and we do not give them the nourishment that they need. My friends, you need both. You need life, and you need nourishment. And my friends, a church is a great place to find brothers and sisters in Christ who will rally around you and who will provide for you a good, healthy diet of spiritual instruction, the nourishment that you need. And so, friends, there's good news on display so powerfully in this passage because this passage shows us that Jesus has power over death. Jesus has defeated death. And it's so powerfully displayed in this passage. But it'll be even more powerfully displayed as Jesus comes again and raises not just one, but the multitudes of those who are his own. As a, a great evangelist of yesteryear was named G. Campbell Morgan. He was a, he was a preacher and an evangelist in London. Uh, but he also spent some time actually out in Los Angeles for a, a number of years in his life. But uh, G. Campbell Morgan passed away in 1945 to give you a context of when 
his life was. But he lost his firstborn daughter to an unexpected death when she was only five years old. Forty years later, he preached a message on this story of Jairus. He had another daughter who lived to adulthood and who would then write a biography about him after his passing. And in that biography, she records some of her father's words in that sermon, which struck so close to home with his own experience. And here's what G. Campbell Morgan had to say in that sermon. He said, I can hardly speak of this matter of Jairus and his daughter without becoming personal and reminiscent, remembering a time 40 years ago when my own first lassie lay at the point of death, dying. I called for him, that is Jesus then, and he came and surely said to our troubled hearts, Fear not, believe only. And he did say, She shall be made whole. She was not made whole on the earthly plane. She passed away into the life beyond. And he did say to her, Talitha kumi, little lamb, arise. But in her case, that did not mean stay on the earth level. It meant that he needed her and he took her to be with himself. She has been with him for all those years. As we measure time here, and I have missed her every day. But his word, believe only, has been the strength of the passing years. And my friends, Jesus' power over death is a strength for all of us. We all have had loved ones who have passed away. Whether it's a child or an adult, we all know this experience of losing someone that we love. And yes, it's true that Jesus did come and Jesus did respond to the need of Jairus' daughter. But do you know what happened to Jairus' daughter later on? She still faced physical death. I mean, for us to pray and to see God's miraculous work, we certainly should pray. We certainly should hope for his healing in the midst of a situation like this. But that, my friends, is not the greatest blessing that God has to offer us. Because even if I continue to pray and even if I am healed into my hundreds and beyond, still I must deal with this issue of my eternal destiny. And that, my friends, is what Christ comes and co completes this miracle as a hint to his ultimate hope that he offers to you. Ultimately, he's showing us that he's provided the healing for final death. Jesus has come and has provided the conquering over the second death. He has come and he has provided the way so that if we face physical death, that is not the end of the story for us because Christ has conquered death. And so friends, I say to you, let this example of Jairus and Jesus' response to him be a reminder to you that your troubles do not trouble this teacher. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we thank you for the fact that you are a God who is ready to respond to our need. You are a God who longs to hear from your children. You are a God who acts in ways that are sometimes mysterious to us, but Lord, as we look through history, your goodness is so 
richly on display. And as we look to the future, oh Lord, how much more so our souls well up with joy to think of all that you have in store for those who are your own. And Father, I don't know the struggles of those who are gathered here today. I don't know the troubles of each person that you brought into this place on this day. Lord, there may be troubles that are leading individuals to dismiss the faith that they could have in Christ. There may be struggles, there may be troubles, there may be things that individuals are going through here today that they feel like are just weighing on them and there's no way that they can deal with them on their own. But God, I praise you that these are no troubles for you. And so, Father, I pray today that we would come to the teacher knowing that we are not troubling him, but that we would seek for you to make a difference in every situation. We might bow the needs of our lives in prayer and through submission to your will, Lord, to find that you are not troubled by our troubles, but you have a great heart of compassion, a great power to heal, and a great destiny for all those who are your own. So, Father, if there's a need here today of someone who just needs a friend to to pray with them, God, I pray you'd give them courage to, to reach out to that friend. There may be a need of someone who needs to come to you to receive eternal life, to overcome physical death by ultimately being restored through Christ. God, we thank you. You've made this provision, and we pray that every heart would be settled as we depart from this place, as we trust in your power and knowing that you are not troubled by our troubles. Bless in this invitation that we share together now, Lord. Call unto yourself those who are your own and give courage to those who need to make decisions, whatever those may be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.